0: Today, we reflect on the women who have been moms to all of us. God created mothers to be a blessing. And although moms aren't perfect, God designed you to love us unconditionally, to fill us with hope, to give us joy, and to love and support us. God gave us mothers to show us himself. A mom comes in many different forms, and without you, we wouldn't be where we are today. Thank you moms for all you do, and happy Mother's Day. Well that last little blue-eyed, blonde-haired, little devil with the SpongeBob teeth was me and my mom. (laughs) Happy Mother's Day to all the moms and grandmas that are here. We love you. So many of you know that my mom passed away in January, and so this year I am especially thankful for our church family and for the many spiritual moms that you all have been to me. So I just want to say uh, thank you from the bottom of my heart for who you are and the role that you play uh, in my life, so uh, within the sovereignty of God, as it turns out, if you 're new to the church, welcome, we have for the last several months been working our way through this ancient text and discovering how it 's incredibly relevant to modern times and we 've been examining the life of this man abram and so last week, we left off with this incredible encounter that he has with God, where essentially God enters into a covenant with this man, think of a covenant as, as a promise, a binding promise and The root word for covenant actually literally means to cut. So we talk about how back in the day, covenants weren't made, they were cut. You cut a covenant. You say, well, exactly what does that mean? Well, they would take animals and literally cut those animals in half. Lay one half on one side, the other on this side, and then the two parties making the promises to one another would walk between these dead animal halves. You say, well, that's kind of strange. Yeah, well, it was a very vivid way of saying, if I don't keep my promise, if I don't keep my end of the covenant, then may I be cut in half like these animals. And so God had made specific promises to Abram. We'll talk about those in a second. Now, after this encounter, you would think that in Abram's mind, he's like, wow, God is really committed to me. In fact, he's so committed that during this covenant, God actually puts Abram to sleep. And then the story gets really unusual because typically in the covenant, both parties walk between the animals. Again, as if to say, if I don't keep up my word, then may the consequences be death upon me. But God puts Abram to sleep, and it's only God that walks between the animals. So this is really unique. This isn't how it's supposed to work, but God is communicating something about the way in which he keeps his promises. And what he's saying is it's not dependent on anything or anyone. When God speaks, it will come to pass. Not even Abram can thwart God's plans. But as we've seen, at times Abram sure tries. You would think that he would have all of this conviction and assurance after this this moment with God, that he would be motivated to live a godly life, but instead we see him taking these detours. It's like God has the blueprints and the plan, but very often we see Abram taking this off ramp, and over time God just kind of gently nudges him back. So here's the message for some of you this morning, and I want to lay it out there ahead of time, okay? Okay. Perhaps you're here and you are really far from God. Maybe you've taken a lot of detours and you find yourself in the desert, like lost, right? Trying to find your way. The text reveals in a very bold and clear way that you are never too far removed from the outstretched arms of God. There really is nothing that you can do that would prevent you from turning back to God and for. Him to give you nothing but acceptance. So one of the promises that God makes to Abram is that he's going to have a son. And this is bigger than you realize because, because again, what we're told is that Abram and his wife are way beyond childbearing years. And so this is going to take a supernatural act on God's part. Additionally, we talked about how the name Abram literally means exalted father. And this is a point of humiliation and embarrassment for this guy. Because for decades, he's childless. And it's like, what's your name? Well, my name is Abram. Exalted father. Oh, great. Tell me about your kids. I don't have any. But you see, God made this promise that one day I would have kids. And this is a sign of great blessing, by the way. That's why for some, back in the day, they would look at Abram and his wife Sarai and say, You must have done something to be cursed by God for him not to give you kids. So it wasn't just seen as as something tragic, but it was was seen as, as something catastrophic. God's curse upon their lives. But he had this promise that God had made that he was holding on to. Now, what Sarai didn't realize is that she herself was actually going to be the one who would give birth to this promised child and that through this child every family on earth would be blessed that's a little bit of a foreshadowing to the person of Jesus Christ because Jesus would come through her line but she's not aware of all that She she just knows that God has made this promise to Abram some time has passed and she becomes impatient And she begins to take matters into her own hands. And once again, this is what makes these stories so incredibly relatable to you and I. Rather than wait on God, she decides, you know, I think God might need my help in accomplishing his purposes. Now, what this is going to lead to are some very bad outcomes. In fact, there's going to be a lot of bloodshed as a result of this. In fact, we actually see some of that bloodshed in our own time to this very day, and I'll explain that to you as we move forward. But for now, chapter 16, verse 1, this is the plan that she begins to formulate. So Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. Additionally, we find out that she's been barren her whole life. But she has this female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And so Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, The Lord has prevented me from having kids. So I had this idea. Why don't you take my servant, Hagar? It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of his wife, Sarai. Now, this is a little bit of a plot twist here, right? Um, So what's going on? Well, Hagar... Was an Egyptian servant that they picked up in their time in Egypt. As they left Egypt, Pharaoh just loaded them down with a lot of stuff. Part of that was a number of servants. Hagar is one of them. She's from Egypt. And so the plan is to have Abraham get together with Abram, get together with Hagar so that they can produce this promised child from God. This is nothing new, by the way. In fact, in ancient times, if there was a couple, they were childless. Not not an uncommon practice for them to take a servant in the household and and that servant would would become like a surrogate mom. Um, Now, again, this is going to be proven to be fatal in more ways than you realize. Some think that Sarai might have had noble intentions in wanting her husband to have this promise fulfilled. However, notice carefully the text says, essentially, I'm blaming God because the Lord has prevented me from having children thinking that god is not capable of doing what he promised thinking that time has passed and the sun hasn't arrived she begins to think how can i make this happen there's also an, an ironic role reversal here because earlier we learned that as they enter egypt together abram offers up sarai to pharaoh now Sarai is offering up Abram to Hagar. Now, we should probably talk about how this conversation went down because the author Moses spends a lot of time and very specific detail with the language in drawing a parallel to what we read in the beginning chapters of the book. That parallel you find in the Garden of Eden, again, If you're a Jewish reader, this jumps off the page, but for us it might not be as obvious, so here's what's happening. Adam engages in a conversation with his wife Eve over this fruit that they were forbidden to eat of. God creates this beautiful environment, lays down one restriction, just one. Contrary to popular opinion, God is not restrictive. Gives them great freedom, lays down one restriction. Don't eat from this tree or it's going to get really bad for you. He gives them free will, which you have to have free will if you want to have a meaningful relationship with somebody. They have to choose to trust you, to obey you, to love you. That's how it works. So God gives them free will, gives them the ability to choose. And the text says Adam and Eve have no discussion over the right or the wrongness of the action. In the same way that Abram and Sarai have no discussion over the rightness or the wrongness of taking this action Egyptian servant. The text says that Eve took the fruit and gave to Adam and he partook. The language is it's almost exactly the same. The author says Sarai took Hagar and gave her to Abram and he partook. There's this passivity that creeps into the relationship between a husband and a wife. And when this passivity creeps into the relationship, it creates vulnerability on the part of the wife. Their lives are about to descend into a free fall you know, the Bible is its painfully true. It says that we reap what we sow, both positively and negatively, but we all know it to be true. And sometimes it's just a matter of time. It's like, that's such great terminology, right? This is a great word picture because it's like you take a seed, you plant it, you water it, and then over time, the plant grows You don't reap it immediately, but over time. And so in the moment, you don't really realize that what you're doing has these unwanted consequences coming into your life later. And so now there's brokenness between the husband and the wife. Their relationship is damaged. There's this pregnant woman on the run. Uh, As you'll see, it's about to get bad for everyone. Hagar is traumatized, treated like property. But then we see this reversal. She becomes... Pregnant, But not just pregnant, she becomes proudly pregnant. Verse 4, and he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she began to look down on her mistress, Sarai. So can you picture this? Hagar's belly begins to grow. And as it's growing, she's walking around rubbing it in front of Sarai, as if to say, I did what you couldn't. Well, Sarai's not having this. Verse 5, and Sarai said to Abram, I blame you. (laughs) Sound familiar? (laughs) Is this not how it goes? There is nothing new under the sun. Both Adam and Abram forfeit their role, put their wives in a vulnerable position, and what do you expect to have happen? I blame you. So may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave, listen to the language, I gave my servant to your embrace. She doesn't even mention Hagar's name. Which, by the way, if you want to destroy someone, if you want to belittle someone, If you want to demean someone, if you want to mistreat someone, then it's best to depersonalize them first. Do we not see this in our own culture and time? If I can depersonalize you, then I can mistreat you, and it makes it much easier for me. In fact, I might even feel better about myself in doing so. So there's no mention of the woman's name, Hagar. It's just my servant. And when she saw that she had conceived, she started looking at me with contempt. So may the Lord judge between you and me. Now, at this point, Abram has the opportunity to say, let's pump the brakes a little bit here. Let's talk about this. Revisit the conversation. Where did we go wrong? How can we make it right? Maybe we ought to go before God and ask questions. What is it that you want from us? Where do we go from here? We started to undo things, but... We're going to stop. We're going to come before you and seek your guidance. So that's not what happens. Verse 6, but Abram said to Sarai, behold, she's in your power. You have power over her. So do to her what you want. Then Sarai dealt harshly with Hagar. And Hagar did. She's out. Conflict between husband and wife. There's a pregnant woman on the run. Why? Why is all of this happening? Well, the answer is straightforward. (laughs) And this is where the Bible becomes so relatable once again. In one word, the conflict occurs because of impatience. Can you relate? I can. How often do we think, I really believe this is what God wants, but it's not happening yet. So how can I help God in this process? And in so doing, what ends up happening is we create complicated problems, man-made complicated problems, and complicated problems just don't go away. There's always grace and mercy. God is always that way. You're going to see that here in a second. But there are consequences to our impatient actions. I've been saying all along in our study that if you want to increase your faith in God, Here's the cold, hard fact. Practice obedience. Now I'm going to add something to that. One word. Ready? If you want to increase your faith in God, practice long obedience, which is is another way of saying to your obedience add patience. Obedience over time strengthens your faith in God because you see God work as you lean into god and you're wanting things to happen now sooner than later and god's saying i'm not obligated to your timeline i will always keep my word i will always produce good in your life but not in the moment that you think it's going to happen and that's where trust lies so hagar and the baby are on the run and then god mercifully intervenes verse 7. the angel of the lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness That's the spring on the way to Shur. And the angel said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, go back. You're like, what? Go back? Why would she do that? Well, what she's told next is shocking and in part the reason why. Return to your mistress, not only that, but submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, here's what's going to happen. I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and you will bear a son. You shall call his name God Will Hear. Isn't that interesting? So There's some sense that as Hagar's out there, she's crying out and then God responds. And then this angel says, you're actually gonna name the child God Will Hear. That's really significant and I'll explain that in a moment. And why? Because the Lord has listened to your affliction. That's literally what the name Ishmael means. God will hear. So he shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kingdom kinsmen. In other words, there's going to be family conflict because of this guy. So she called the name of the Lord, on the name of the Lord, who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing, literally El Roy. For she said, truly, here in this spot I have seen him who looks after me. I'm a rejected dejected, outcast, single mom, pregnant. But God notices me. Therefore the well was called Beer Lahai Roy, the well of him who sees me. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, God will hear, Ishmael. So Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. All right, so understand what's happening. Hagar gets rejected, she runs, She's almost back to Egypt. That's where the, 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 those little towns and places in the text tell us that she's back on her way to Egypt. She's almost there. When the angel of the Lord visits her, now some people see this as a Christophany, which is a fancy way of saying it's the pre-incarnate Jesus. And there are good reasons for that. Whatever the case, she's told something remarkable. First, go back and submit. Why would I want to do that? Because God is about to bless you beyond your wildest imagination. Back in the day, to have kids was a sign of God's blessing. And what does, check this out. She receives the exact same promise that Abram receives from God. And she's the only other person. Abram, earlier, is told, you're going to be a father of a multitude of people. Huge blessing. Same thing with you, Hagar. Go back. And here's what I want you to know. You actually have a part in fulfilling my promise to Abram. Go back. Uh, we also get some information about who this kid is. First of all, we're given the gender, he's male. Secondly, we're told a little bit about this, uh, this guy's disposition, and it's not great. He's described as a wild donkey. Now, I don't know if any of you have had experiences, personal experiences with wild donkeys. I actually have. Years ago, I was in college. I was on a missions trip to Emerus. We were building an addition to an existing orphanage. And we were all young, 18, 19, 20 years old, and I had a buddy, his name is Dave. And Dave, Dave was just, he was not, his brain, you know, your brain isn't fully developed, you're 25, his really wasn't developed yet. We weren't even on anything, right? I mean, this was like a church group. And there were all these wild donkeys running around the property. And so Dave says, you know, it'd be fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whenever it starts like that, right? You know, it'd be fun. We should, try to, we should try to ride one of those wild donkeys. <laughs> Now Dave was a great athlete, super fast. Like donkey fast, you know what I'm saying? He was fast. So I can picture it in my mind like it was yesterday. There's this donkey, he's kind of doing his own thing, he's, he's grazing. Now remember, these are wild donkeys, and so Dave is creeping up behind the donkey, gets real close, and this donkey's looking at him like, you're giving him the horse look, you know, like, are you about to do this? As he gets closer, Dave gets donkey kicked in the thigh like the meaty part of the thigh. That thing went from black to purple to brown. Wild donkeys have really difficult dispositions. They're not super agreeable. How would you like to be a mom and be told, yeah, you're going to have a son. Oh. And as moms know that have kids that are older, you're holding that baby, you have all these dreams and hopes and expectations, and then they grow up. (laughs) Think about it, right? We've talked about this. Eve is holding this baby boy, Cain, and she has these amazing hopes and dreams for this little child. This is the first baby. Little does she know that she's holding in her hands a murderer. And every family seems to have their own wild donkey. You know what I'm saying? You know what's fascinating about this? Earlier I said that the outworking, the trajectory of this decision to take matters into their own hands will have consequences way out into the future. Consequences that we see to this very day. And here's how. You know, Ishmael is considered the father of the Arab nation, including the Palestinians. Now, Sarai, we'll see in a second, her name becomes Sarah. Her name gets changed. And what she's told is is also shocking. She's told that the promised son is actually not going to come from Hagar, but it's going to come from her own 90-year-old body. So when that son is born, his name is Isaac. You know that Isaac is the forefather of the Israelite nation? For thousands of years to this very day, do you know how much bloodshed has occurred between, if you will, the clan of Ishmael and the clan of Isaac? Hey, why do you think that's happening? Because the Bible said it was gonna happen. That's why. So there's all this conflict that comes into play because we don't fully understand that we reap what we sow. So there's gonna be ongoing conflict between these two ladies. What's interesting is that we get to see the promise of this as well. You know about 5% of the world's population is Arab and they trace their roots back to their matriarch, Hagar. Why? Because God made this promise saying, I'm gonna make a great nation out of you as well. So here's the lesson at this point. If you are contemplating a quick resolve to what you imagine to be God's will for your life, what you think God wants for you, maybe in a relationship or in a career, or maybe with your education or your finances, whatever it is, anything in your personal life, and it's not happening, Just step back, take a breath and actually contemplate, God, what do you want to do? And maybe it's just a matter of me being patient and waiting. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm a type A achiever. I love plans. It's not wrong to have a plan, but you got to learn to hold it loosely because you never know exactly how God is going to work. So chapter 17 begins with a connecting verse, verse one. It says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said to him, El Shaddai is here, which literally means the powerful one. Isn't that interesting? When God shows up, he says, I'm about to drop some crazy news on you. It's gonna be hard for you to believe. So let me just tell you who I am first. The one who's speaking to you is the most powerful thing in all of creation, standing above and beyond creation. Walk before me, Abram, and be blameless. In other words, don't be hypocritical. Practice what you preach, what you believe, what you say, congruent. Now chapter 16 ends with this. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to. Abram. So this is crazy. This tells us that for 13 years, it appears that God, he was silent. He wasn't saying anything. So what's happening during that time? Well, you have a kind of a blended family that turns into a dysfunctional family. And there's this 13-year-old kid, Ishmael, and both Abram and Sarai think this is the promised son It's not, as you'll see. But that's what they're thinking. And then you have Hagar under the the roof. And it's like family dinners are super awkward. And nobody's sharing the remote. And (laughs) uh, 13 years goes by. But remember, God said, you're still going to have a son. But now I'm about to tell you it's going to happen in a way that you never thought. Because you see, what happened was you did it your way and you took a, watch this, detour. But I'm going to bring you back. Ishmael's actually not the one. So 13 years goes by. And talk about the power of God on display. Now, Abram is 100 years old. His wife is 90. And in verse 4, God says, man, let me tell you about your destiny. Verse 4, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. Reiterating the promise that he's given before. But I'm going to have to change your name. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. And here's why. Because I have made you, I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. So just when Abram gets over the embarrassment of his name, Abraham means exalted father. How many kids do you have? Well, I have none. Finally, he gets one. And then God says, cool, you have one. Name change, Abraham. You know what the name Abraham means? Father of a multitude. And Abraham's like, are you kidding me? God, is this a joke? I just got over the embarrassment decades of my name's exalted father and I don't have kids. Abraham. Yeah, because what happens is God speaks to your destiny. And he gives you a new name. Christian, you have a new name. There's these beautiful passages in the book of Revelation. You know, it talks about God writing a new name for you on a white stone. You don't know what it is yet. But we get clues, you know, even now, it's like we've been transferred from death to life, from darkness to light. And we're called children of God. We've been adopted into this new family. Literally right now, as we speak, we have a new identity. We have a new name. And so God says, let me tell you about your destiny. You're gonna be a father of, of a multitude, Abraham. And then they enact this covenant that God initiates. And what is it? Oh, it's this thing called circumcision. Now circumcision is kind of an interesting thing. Right? Like, by the way, it wasn't anything new, right? It was, it was commonly practiced back in the day, but God uses it as a physical reminder and expression that we have this relationship together. What's really interesting is this. The, the Bible is not like a, a, a textbook on health, right? It's not like a medical book. That's, that's, that's not what it is. But since it comes to us from God, you would expect that what we read would actually affirm nature. So, when God tells Abraham that we're gonna institute this covenant through circumcision, he says, for all young males, that circumcision is gonna happen on day eight. And you kinda of scratch your head. You know, I've said a million times. Whenever you read details in the Bible, just stop, Dig deep, because it's going to reveal something really, really profound. So you're like, well, why eight days? Well, some of you may may know this already, but as it turns out, on about the eighth day of a human's life, what is necessary for the blood to clot is in place on day eight. And so when God says, yeah, we're going to practice circumcision, but don't do it during the first week, because that could be hazardous. Right, because what's necessary, what I put in place for blood to clot, isn't quite there yet. So let's wait till day eight when it's more fully formed, and then we're gonna do the circumcision. Right? So isn't it interesting? All these little details—they actually turn out to make perfect sense. Right? So, okay, quickly. So this happens, and um, now uh, Abram is about to get the shock of his life. Abraham. Right. Uh, under this, at this point, he's under the impression that Ishmael is this promised son because they basically made it happen for themselves. Verse 15, And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife. Well, she's going to get a name changed too. You shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. Sarai means my princess. It's personal and it's localized, but it appears that Sarah has a broader context, meaning more like our princess, which is fitting for her name if she's going to have many, many descendants. I'm going to bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. All right. So this guy's 100 years old. And God shows up and says, you know that 90-year-old bombshell that you've been married to all these years? (laughs) is going to have your baby. Now, I really don't even want to picture this happening, but think about, think about Abraham. I'm 100 years old. You talk about low T. In other words, God says, yeah, you were old back then, but I'm going to go ahead and wait another 13 years. You guys are as good as dust. So when I flex, oh, by the way, that's why I started the conversation by introducing myself as all-powerful. And so how is Abraham going (laughs) to (laughs) respond? Oh, Lord. (laughs) (laughs) Then Abraham fell on his face and he laughed. And he said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 99 years old, bear a child? I mean, this is some, you know when you go to the checkout stand and you see those magazines, right? Like half human, half alien? That's, that's where you expect to read this story. And Abraham said to God, well, you know, like what about Ishmael? Might he live before you? Don't forget about the boy. He's been running around, you know, in my house. Now he's 13 years old, you know. What about him? This whole time it's been him. God said, no. But Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. Because I'm going to establish my covenant with him. I'm going to pass it along. The covenant I made to you is going to be passed on to him, not Ishmael, as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him as for ishmael i hear you behold i have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly he shall father 12 princes i will make him into a great nation but i will establish my covenant with isaac that's the boy whom sarah shall bear to you at this time next year you know what the name isaac means does anybody know Yeah, the name Isaac means laughter. Oh, how cool is that? Even you think about the name Ishmael. God said to Hagar, hey, I see you. Single mom, rejected, dejected. I see you, outcast. I see you, and I got you. I got you. I got you. You're going to have a son. Uh, And you know what his name is going to be? God sees you. Now think about that. Every time she's calling out to this boy, God sees you. Don't be late for dinner. God sees you. Pick up your clothes. Abraham laughs. And I don't think it's a laugh that's like, there's no way God's going to do this. It's more like, can you believe it? Can you believe God is going to do this in my life? for me and my wife, and every time they call that boy's name, they're reminded that God is El Shaddai. And what you thought was funny, God's like, no problem. No problem. Hey, laughter, time to feed the animals. Hey, laughter, make sure you do your homework. There's so much in a name. So let me ask you, what do you believe about God? Because that is the most important thing about you. That shapes everything about you. Not only in this life, but quite frankly, in the life to come. So do you see God as El Shaddai, the all-powerful one? Because right here, every single person in this room, I would imagine, is trusting God for something. Be patient. You've got your plan, that's cool, hold it loosely. Be patient. Understand who God is and what he wants to do, and then wait. And never forget that God communicates everything you need to know in his name. So Father, as we leave this morning, will you continue to impress upon our hearts El Roy, God, you see El Shaddai. God, you are powerful. At times, we get distracted. We become impatient. We take matters into our own hands. But, God, that's where trust through patience lies. Father, may we receive the good words of your book this morning, knowing that that the ultimate fulfillment of the promises made is that there would be a forthcoming descendant who would be a blessing to every family on earth and that is jesus christ so god we ask that by the power of his name which as he walked the earth was a direct reflection of your power el shaddai we trust we wait with expectation for what is to come not only in this life but in the life to come all for your glory and to make the name of Jesus Christ famous in God's people said amen